And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Born during the despair of the Great Depression, tempered by the fires of the Second World War, on a parallel Earth very much like our own, yet slightly different, they're banded together the greatest forces for freedom ever assembled. Over the many ensuing years, new and younger members would join the veteran champions of the Golden Age, continuing their fight for truth, justice, and the American way. Becoming so much more than just heroes, they became legends. Back to the Bins proudly presents Legends of the Justice Society of America. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins and to our second episode of a new segment that we are doing called Legends of the Justice Society of America, in which we are taking a look in a chronological order at the JESA and JLA team-ups that occurred mostly in Justice League of America. Prior to that, though, before uh, those team-ups actually started, there were uh, a number of things that led up to the first team-up of the Justice League and the Justice Society. So we're kind of prefacing with uh, those first initial team-ups before we get to the big event here. But uh, stick with us. It'll all make sense as we go along. Anyway, my name is Scott Gardner. I'm joined on this episode by my pals, Paul Spataro. Hi. <laughs> David A. Pascarella. Good to be here. So this time around, we are looking at uh, the second book, the second preface, basically, before we get to the main event of the first team-up of the Justice League and the Justice Society, this one being Flash number 129. And uh, for our synopsis and all the notes on this one, uh, I hand it over to Dave. Flash 129 had a cover date of June 1962. And a cover price of a whole 12 cents. We're up two cents since the last issue. Damn can't man. afford that. <clears throat> I know. It's ridiculous. They think we made a money. Yeah. The on-sale date was April 19th, 1962. The writer is Godna Fox. Penciler, Carmine Infantino. The Inca, Joe Giella. And the editor, Julius Schwartz would go on to Superman fame. Yep. And our issue is entitled Double Danger on Earth. On April 1st, 1962, a rogue comet impacts the sun and a gigantic flare of deadly epsilon radioactivity flares out towards the Earth. If a way is not found to absorb the radiation, all life on Earth is doomed. This crisis, however, is not occurring on Earth-1, but rather on the parallel world of Earth-2. Jay Garrick, The Flash, explains the severity of the present situation to his wife, Joan. The fallout from the cosmic impact will cause a buildup of radioactivity in the atmosphere until the Earth becomes a lifeless planet, kind of like the way it is right now. Jay notes that near a branch of his laboratory in Flagstaff, Arizona, the radiation is very light, and further, it is in the vicinity of a meteorite crater. In that area, the radioactivity has disappeared entirely. 
Jay contemplates whether he should investigate the possible meteorite cure to the planet's radiation situation as Jay Garrick or as the Flash, now that the Flash has come out of retirement. We're treated to a montage of the Flash's adventures with the Justice Society of America. Jay compromises and wears his costume under his regular attire. In his Keystone lab, it is discovered that a chunk of the Arizona meteorite absorbs the deadly radiation, just as a sponge absorbs water. If they can obtain enough of the meteorite, they will be able to save the planet. Upon his arrival in Arizona, Jay learns that the meteorite has mysteriously vanished. Suddenly, Jay realizes that there should be another meteorite that can save them. A duplicate on Earth-1. The Golden Age Flash takes over, vibrating at incredible speeds until he vanishes. Chapter 2 On Earth-1, Barry Allen is late for a date with Iris to a charity ball. Of course, his costume is that of the Flash. As the donations pour in, they're under the watchful eye of the Central City Police Department. Suddenly, Captain Cold strikes, only to have the money stolen from him by the trickster. Suddenly, the thieves are interrupted by the arrival of the Flash. Jay Garrick arrives to interfere with their criminal enterprise. Jay fails to foil the thieving duo, but it is enough to draw the attention of Barry Allen. Working together, Captain Cold and the trickster evade the two flashes, who are left frozen in blocks of ice. Chapter 3 The flashes, having drawn a breath prior to being encased in ice, are able to escape their icy prisons by using super swift vibrations to superheat the air inside and shatter the ice. Jay explains how he needs to get the meteorite to save all life on Earth too. Barry says he would like to help him, but he needs to try and catch Captain Cold and the trickster. Seriously? Barry's a bit of a dick, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> okay. I thought it was me. Jake Eric arrives at the Kratom Museum in Arizona, and with some assistance from the staff, is able to excavate the meteorite in record time. He then carves the gigantic rock into ingots for easy transportation. The Flash, Barry Allen, arranges for the meteorite ingots to be flown to Central City by plane. If only there was a super-powered individual who could have flown them there much quicker and under his own power. I don't know. Once in Central City, the Flashes think it would be a brilliant idea to use the ingots that are needed to save all life on an entire world as bait to catch Captain Cold and the trickster. As bait to to catch Captain Cold and the trickster while the life of an entire planet hangs in the balance. <clears throat> the press is informed that there are diamonds in the meteorite ingots. 
the dastardly duo take the bait. After a brief struggle, chapter four, after a brief struggle, Barry tracks Captain Cold and the trickster to a cave. There, the flashes easily apprehend the two thieves as Barry diverts their attention while Jay vibrates the invisibility and points their weapons at each other. Thus, they shoot each other instead of the Flash. Both Flashes then return to Earth 2, where the ingots are ground to powder and sprayed into the stratosphere by rockets. Because if only they had an individual who could have flown up there and helped out, either under their own power or with something like, say, I don't know, a ring. Jay theorizes that Earth... (laughs) Jay theorizes that the Earth 2 meteorite was consumed and disappeared because it absorbed enough radiation to save the Earth. But its effect only lasted 24 hours. After a study of the meteorite, Jade develops a synthetic meteorite metal that can be produced in sufficient quantities to protect Earth-1 on the day a comet strikes their sun. The end. I felt like giving my Jaws quote and saying, 24 hours is like three weeks. So I wonder if you could guess what stuck out in my mind while reading this story. Oh, this one, this one's a doozy. It's got several things I got to talk about on this. But yeah, you go, you go ahead. Cause I know what you're, we, we talked about this already. So I know what your big beef is with this one. And I completely, I'm behind you brother on this one. First of all, the earth is in jeopardy. Earth too. We're all going to die unless we can save this. But they it's not eat- our earth. It's okay. They give you the montage of him remembering the JSA, you know, in action together. Well, where the hell are these people when it hits the fan? That's number right. one. Number two, how great would it have been if when Jay Garrick arrives at the costume party on Earth One that Barry's at, if Barry was wearing the Jay Garrick costume? <laughs> I'm just picturing all all the heroes. Remember when we did the uh, Fortress of Solid Solitude uh, episode, right? And there was there was that that ship that Superman devised that was just going to take the heroes away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing they all saw that meteor and meteor, and they're all getting into that ship, and they're like, "Oh, Jay isn't with us. Ah, eh, whatever." <laughs> At the secret sanctuary of Kal-El on Super Earth uh, Two, they're taken off. Right. And the Earth's finished. That Peace out. We're out of here. Well, at we the we very can find least, another planet to protect. At the very least, there should be a shot of him like, I don't know. I mean, did they have like any sort of like signal devices or at least pick up the phone? You know, I mean, what if what if something had happened to him? I mean, he's the sole superhero handling this situation to save his planet when he's a member of a team. So shouldn't he have tipped them off? Like, Hey, if something happens to me or, Hey, this is going on right now, but, but he doesn't. So he's tackling this. this. Yeah. Well, well, in all fairness, it's not like 
one of the lead heroes works in a place where he gets the news right away <laughs> and knows what's going on. <laughs> if only he had access to the Daily Star. <laughs> right. You know, but, 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 but what do I know? Now, do either of you own this? Had either of you read this before? What's what's your history with this? For I'm me, new to this one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> what, what was and this that one? I, I got to tell you, this one is a big step down from the Flash yes. of Two Worlds. I will completely agree with you. I, I missed what you said, Paul. Did you say you do not do not have? I do this not one? own this, and I never read it until we were preparing for today's show. And uh, but but you know, remember, remember uh, when we when we did the Flash of Two Worlds, I talked about how it was benefited by making it a smaller story. Right. This one this one has the world shaking, world threatening events, and it's treated like it's a small story. Yes. 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 So, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't make it a small story, even though the world is threatened, which is what they did. I, oh, uh, but we got to catch my villains first, because that's more important. Yeah. And they're two. They're Lose two the villains. I mean, they're two chumps that the cops should be chasing, not. You know, I mean, Barry should have no compunction whatsoever about going. Yeah, you know what? Let, let me concentrate on your problem here, and you know, hopefully the police can deal with this while while I help you out. You're my friend. You're my childhood hero. But instead, he completely disses him. Like, gee, I sure would like to help you, but you know, Captain Cold, the trickster. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's that, like he doesn't want to be bothered. I yeah. hardly ever see these guys. I yeah, uh, no, I do this, not this story... own this issue. I had never read this issue before. Um, I've been working on acquiring this issue. I'm going to work just a little less hard and be willing to spend <laughs> a lot less money to acquire this issue now. Because, this this yeah, is a $25 I, issue. Yeah. This is I was willing to go as high as 20 Now I'm willing as high, to go as high as maybe like 10 That's it. I'm not going beyond that. Cause I don't I, think you're going to find it for 10 Yeah, I, but you, I, might, I just, you never know. I didn't think much of it, to be honest. My, with my, fav- my favorite single image in this, and it's just because uh, just because it's so dopey looking, is the key shooting his key gun towards Wonder Woman. He looks like, uh, what was it, Powdered Toast Man? Powdered, yes, yes, I was going to say, he looks like he has a head of toast. Yes, he sure does, yes. That's my yeah. favorite panel in the whole book. It's the <laughs> stupidest looking one, and it's my favorite. So, I mean, but that speaks for this story, that, I got more of a kick out of the stupid look there than I did out of any element of the story. Right. So, you know, this, this is, I, you know, I don't know. This is only the second time. So I can't imagine that they said, oh, we're going to treat it as if it's unimportant. And the fact that they're coming back to it says to me they must have gotten very good uh, feedback on the first one. Yeah. And so very quickly, think, too. I mean, this is only six issues later. So, yeah, it had to yeah, be you would think they would put a little bit more into trying to come up with something. You know, I, you know, I, I'll say they did try to come up with something more earth shattering or threatening. Obviously, they tried to do that. But then it's just dopey. It's just not done right. You know, yeah. you could have just stuck one panel in there where he tried to reach out to the Justice Society, but there was some element of this meteor that was stopping communications or something. You know, they, you, you could play with things so easily. Uh, so no, Nobody wanted to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
hindsight being 2020, I, I think it would have been interesting had there been a reason why he didn't, you know, because he remini- you know, he's reminiscing about the, the Justice Society and all his pals and all his good times. So by drawing attention to that before the he starts dealing with the threat makes him look like an idiot for not then calling up his old chums to assist with this world threatening thing. So it, I think it would have been really interesting if there had been a reason why, like they'd had a falling out or something. Yeah, I'm you know? not speaking to him. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty dumb, actually. You know, something, you know, <laughs> to where, or or better yet, and um, I mean, you know, granted this is just keeping it isolated to the two flashes, but you know, if this was the impetus to get the old gang back together, which, which of course it's not, but that could have been more interesting and, you know, more fun that, you know, again, this is a, an actual world. This isn't just a couple of villains are dealing with, this is a world threat. So, you know, this, you know, if there was ever a time to get the old gang back together, this was probably it, you know, and they don't go that route. I wonder if there was some kind of editorial restriction, you know, we're not going to have more than two heroes in a book. Maybe. Other than the Justice League book, which is a separate entity, and we don't want to take anything away from that. Is the well, Justice the, Justice League an ongoing book at this point? I think uh, yeah, yeah, March 1960. No, oh, that's yeah. in Brave and the Bold. Yep. But they are an existing superhero team. And it, it, I, I wouldn't say that, or I wouldn't speculate that they were limiting saying, Oh, it has to be only two heroes, but I think they may have been saying, let's hold off on bringing back the justice society until we bring them into the justice leagues book. Well, I'm thinking that this is a tryout, you know, this is, you know, just, just giving enough of a tease and showing the different heroes in action and everything that, you know, let's gauge let's gauge reader interest just by teasing these images and teasing these characters and, and see where this goes type of thing. So that that's how I would interpret it. I uh I had some really doozy notes on this one. Um So bring us through. Let's bring it back to so the beginning. First and foremost is the the villain plot. So the villain plot is that they want to make off with the, with the proceeds from this charity ball thing, whatever it is. Well, so you can see pot, why that's as earth shattering as what's going on on Earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the total pot is a hundred thousand dollars. So at one, you know, eventually the villains team up and they they decide to split the pot. So that means fifty thousand dollars for the each of them. Now I realize in nineteen sixties dollars that's that's a lot more money than it is today, but still fifty thousand dollars. I'd like to remind these two assholes that each one of them has patentable and marketable skills that can make them far far richer than just fifty thousand dollars. This to me is Luther robot syndrome, mm-hmm. where Lex Luther will spend you know, millions of dollars to create a robot that's going to go out and steal him a couple of thousand dollars, you know, and, and we see this sort of thing in comics all the time. I mean, if, if the trickster can come up with flying slippers and the captain cold can come up with a, with a, you know, an ice gun, then I'm thinking they're already multi-billionaires with those inventions right there. If they marketed them, if they patent, you know, that sort of thing. So it, that, you know, major points off for that sort of silliness. 
$100,000, by the way, in today's money, it's uh, just under a million dollars. It's yeah, not so even I mean, a million. Yeah, that's that's not a lot. I, I mean, I'm really thinking that, you know, they, they could have made much more money than that, you know, marketing. But their, that was their the state that it's in, in all of these stories. That was that was a standard weakness. So many of these stories that, you know, they, they'd spend a hundred thousand dollars to set up the plot with the robots and their different scenarios they came up with. And, you know, the goal was to steal one hundred and one thousand. Right. Right. So, yeah. You know, exactly. it. it, it it, it was it was a common I, I think it was it, it was out of laziness it was just you know let's just set something up and have him go for it meanwhile all they had to do is add a zero and it would have been fine <laughs> now as i said before and and i and i'm serious about this i i can forgive a lot in in con- i mean i can turn a blind eye i can go along with a lot of different gags when it comes to my comics and and my comic related movies and tv shows and all that you know, I'm fine with with going along with most things, but every once in a while, a story will come up with something where I'm just like, no, I I no, that doesn't work for me. And the big thing that doesn't work for me, well, actually, there's several of them in this story, but probably the biggest one is Jay comes over from another Earth. Now he's nobody to these people. They don't know who the hell he is. All they've got is our our worlds or Earth One's flash saying, "Hey, you know, help this guy out. You know, he's he's a good Joe kind of thing." So he actually goes to Meteor Crater in Arizona. Now this is a real place. This is a this is a real thing, and they just allow him to dig up and basically smash into tiny bits and make off with the meteor at the bottom of meteor crater. Now, my first thought was, is this not a national historic monument? You know, is this not, you know, protected type of thing? So I looked this up and according to Wikipedia, the source of all correct information, it says, despite historic attempts to, uh, to make the crater a public landmark, the crater remains privately owned by the Beringer family to the present day through their Beringer Crater Company, which proclaims it uh, to be the best preserved meteor crater on Earth. Not anymore. (laughs) Since the crater is privately owned, it is not protected as a national monument, a status, uh, status that would require federal ownership. It was designated a, nat- a national natural landmark in November 1967, so a few years after this issue came out. So it's privately owned, which means it's probably the bread and butter of the Behringer Crater Company, which probably means they ain't going to let you just take off with it. So that whole thing just really kind of falls apart for me. Like, no. You're not going to come here and just make off with one of our, you know, our our, our natural, you know, what do they call it, a national natural landmark. No, that'd be like him trying to come here and be like, in order to save my planet, I really need to take your Grand Canyon back with me. That That's not going to happen. Nobody's going to okay that. Nobody's going to sign off on that, especially for a hero they don't know. Wait, so, could you picture for a moment them? Even Barry trying to explain this to the guy who owns the the crater. You're not going to believe this, but there's an Earth parallel to ours. 
and going through the whole that that you could read about in the comic books because you know that's <laughs> and the guy just looking at him like get out of here hippie I don't know what you're smoking and call yeah call him the paddy wagon you know the 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 loony bin on him yeah exactly the men in the white coats are coming to take him away that's the craziest story you've ever heard so um, you say you you're the guy that was in those comic books I used to read uh-huh yeah uh-huh yeah yeah like you have the uh the little button for security that you're pressing while you're talking to him (laughs) like in the bank under the counter yeah take grandpa back to the home (laughs) stop me if you've got anything earlier than page 14 because that's kind of where my notes uh really dive in on this one you know as far as specific page notes but uh page 14 um, do I even want to know where the trickster was keeping that fishing pole? Because <laughs> he just it just materializes on on the panel, so he had to be it had to come from somewhere. But uh, yeah, whatever. Dave kind of touched on this already, but I just want to piggyback on what he said. Uh, page sixteen, panel three, where they're sitting on the uh, park bench together, and uh, Jay is basically saying, you know, so I, I you know I've I've got to take this crater. It's the only hope. He's, this is a direct quote from the issue. It's the only hope of saving my world. And Barry just says, you know, I'd like to give you a hand, but I, I better stay around here and wait for Captain Cold and uh, the trickster. My note on this was, what an asshole. It's you know? like, I should think that the fate of Jay's entire world is at least a little more important than catching two crooks that the cops should already be able to handle, you would think. Yeah, this one's on my world, though. The only thing that would... <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better is if Barry went back into fanboy mode and was like, you know, there's an apartment in my building open. <laughs> Maybe you can move in. When your world is destroyed, neighbor. you could stay there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Page 17, now, you know... Having the kind of job that I do and, and doing what I do and you know being uh, just in the environment that I work in, I can easily recognize someone that has given one too many tours, and that's this guy on page 17. Uh, so Jay Garrick is talking to what I presume are like park rangers or something that work at Meteor Crater, and, and this is the guy's spiel. He says, it is believed the meteor landed on Earth about 50,000 years ago, driving into the ground at an angle of uh, 1,500 feet. Force of impact threw about 400 million tons of dirt outside the crater. Today, that crater is 570 feet deep and over 4,000 feet across. The meteorite is estimated to be 120. And he all these statistics. Who the hell cares? He just wants the meteor. He doesn't care about all these statistics. How does this even factor into the story? It's it's just clear this guy, you know, has, has just done one too many tours, throwing out all these statistics <laughs> to boggle the mind. But it, it plays nothing into the story whatsoever. I, I just thought that was really funny. I could so hear George Collins' voice from a skit he did years ago. With, yeah, yeah, you want to give me my effing change? I'm triple parked. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, he just goes on and on with all these statistics and like, uh, you know, 
that might impre- impress the rubes, but I mean, look at look at Jay. Look at his body language. His body language just totally says, "I don't care." Yeah, he says, "I have to save my world." <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. He should be checking his watch in that in that shot right there. Yeah, he's completely so, so, bored. Like with the deep sigh. <laughs> Did you ever see? Uh, uh, on one of the early episodes of The Simpsons, Homer, Homer has some sort of sushi, and he thinks it was cut wrong, so it's going to kill him, and he has like six hours to live. And he gets together, you know, he's trying to cross everything off his want, his to-do list before he dies, and he's, he's there with his father, and his father just starts babbling, and they show him like rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. So, miraculously... Jay gets the go-ahead on this, however that happens. So he basically does the flash crater at super speed, and he's, you know, he creates basically like a like a funnel tornado thing in the sky. So on page 18, the first panel, it says, within moments, a mighty gusher of dirt, mud, and water erupts from the impact tunnel of meteor crater. And and uh, Jay's thinking to himself, he says, I've formed a suction cup with rotating winds, which draws up everything beneath, uh, beneath it, not so uh, fastened securely. And you see all this stuff from the meteor flying up into the atmosphere. And I'm thinking, uh, good job there, asshole. Isn't this what killed the dinosaurs? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So on that same page, last panel... Um, now, this was my first time reading this issue, and I think you guys both said this was your first time. So this was actually my biggest note for the entire issue. This blew my mind. This was not something I was previously aware of. So apparently, Earth-1 knows of the existence of Earth-2. Now, granted, they're not called that yet, but the headline on the newspaper is Flash from Other Earth Here to Save His Own. So that's that's in the newspapers of what would eventually become Earth One, and this just blew my mind because I had no I I always thought and, and looking back on it I, I guess it was just an assumption but I had always assumed that the general populace of these planets did not know about the existence of the other ones, and a lot of that comes from in uh, in Crisis on Infinite Earths there's a moment where Lois Lane of Earth One is saved by Lois, uh, by a uh, Superman of earth two and doesn't know who he is. Doesn't and, and doesn't have any apparent concept of the multiple earths and the multiple heroes and that sort of thing. So seeing this as far back as, I mean, just the second crossover really blew my mind, but I'm also thinking, could this be an example of, uh, I don't know if there's a, a technical term for it. I'm going to call it a passive retcon. And, and I think you guys will know what I'm talking about. Like, so say like Marvel comics w- was really good at doing these passive retcons where if something became inconvenient, some little piece of continuity became inconvenient, they would passively retcon it by just no longer referencing it anymore. Like for example, like I'm pretty sure at one point it was said that Reed Richards and Ben Grimm fought in World War II. Yes, but they did. as we get further and further away from World War II, that becomes more and more inconvenient because that would mean these guys are like ancient. So they just simply stop referencing it anymore and it kind of get ret- retcons away because everybody just kind of collectively forgets about it. 
And I'm kind of wondering if that's the instance here, because I like to consider myself very well versed on Earth, too. And I I just don't remember this. I don't remember the the common man knowing about the parallel mm-hmm. Earths. I I, so, I I could throw some light on this. OK, the very first my first exposure to the uh, multiple Earths was uh, there's an issue of Justice League from the 80s where there's a cross, you know, one of the crossover ones might Uh be the late 70s. And in the story, there's a, you know, everything is blocked off and the heroes are fighting, you know, up in the sky or whatever the hell it was. And a kid says to a policeman, he says, you know, what's with the Flash or whoever it was? Why does he look different? And the cop explains it to them i think they're on earth too he says well you know and he explains the whole multiple earths to this kid and i remember the kids saying well then how come we're not on earth we're not earth one if we had heroes first right 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 but i can't remember what issue it is but i no, know I, it's just now that you yeah now that you've said that 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 tickles a memory i think that might possibly be part of a crisis what was it crisis on earth three i think was the name of it with the cuban missile crisis and all that i, I think that could be that could very uh, well be I, but yes i i now that you say that 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 definitely does ring a bell with me but yeah so i i guess it, it is but now my other thought with this is isn't this borderline irresponsible to just throw this information out there because i i would think that public knowledge of parallel universes and alternate Earths, you know, alternate Earths specifically, could have at least as much potential to profoundly impact society as proof of, like, extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there was a, a study conducted way back when, I forget the, the Brookings Report, I think was the name, or something like that. Um, where a study was done on what what did they think, you know, top minds, you know, top men, what did they think would be the impact uh, on our society of the disclosure of proof of aliens, you know, that, that alien life was was out there, had been here, whatever the case may be. And it was judged that the impact would be devastating to our society. And so, you know that that was that so i'm thinking this this is at least as big a revelation that there are other earths out there you know parallel or parallel worlds what would that do to people what would that do to society i think Um, it's an even bigger revelation because it's saying there are other Earths that are comparable to ours, where where we could actually communicate because we have the same type of cultures, uh, and we have access to them. Yes. Yeah. You're, you know, you, uh, the the study that you're talking about, if I understand it correctly, is just the concept of confirming that there's life out there would be enough to throw the world off. This right. is be, way beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know publishing this information in the newspaper you know this this is more than just an interesting headline this is world shaking news 
and it's just played off like, oh yeah, there's a there's a visiting flash from out of town. Well, no, this this is massive. So yeah, that, I just thought that that was really interesting to note. Page nineteen. <laughs> I got such a kick out. This is right up on par with <laughs> with what Dave was fussing about. So after Barry has blown off Jay and, and his need to save his planet by going and chasing two low-life, you know, lower-tier crooks, after Jay has busted his ass to break down this entire meteorite and he's in the process of sending them over to the other Earth and everything... Page 19, panel one, and here comes Barry. I'll give you a hand. Like, where the hell have you been all this time? It's like, now you want to help. When everything's basically been done and the the job's already been tackled, now he wants to come help. (laughs) What a dick. To To use your stuff as a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. To help me catch my guys. Yes. Yeah, it's Yeah, I mean, Jay never gets mad and it's I mean, he's given plenty of justification in this issue to to really get upset and be like, "Dude, I am trying to save my people." You know, I'm trying to save a world here. You're talking about a couple of a, a couple of no, you know, nothing villains here. Yeah, it's 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 really silly. And I love, I think my favorite moment of the entire book, I'm trying to find what page it was on here. Oh, it's, it's the last page where, (laughs) where it finally occurs to Barry. He's like, wait a minute. I just thought of something. What, what if this happens on my earth and, and I need to protect it against this radiation. And now you, you've taken our meteor and and I got nothing. And And I would have loved it if Mm -hmm. Jay had been like, you know, it sucks to be you, dude. You didn't want to help me. And so, you know, you're on your own type of thing. He should, he should have said, oh, I'm sorry. I have to go capture the fiddler and the thinker. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they stole $50 from the track. So I got to get over <laughs> Peace out. Good luck. <laughs> oh. Was this the beginning of chemtrails? Probably because they they powderize the uh, the meteor and, and spread it into the atmosphere to, to deal with the whole radiation thing. And I, I just couldn't help but, but think about chemtrails and that whole thing. Conspiracy theories upon conspiracy theories. <laughs> and, and as the rockets are going up, Barry goes, you know, I could have called Superman and asked him to help. I got his number. Did you know that? That's that's all I've got on this one. Uh, yeah, it was it was a doozy, and I've I've got to I've got to agree with Paul. It's it's a huge come down from uh, from one twenty three, sadly. But it was fun. Eh, was it? <laughs> we made it fun. We we made it fun. Yes, we made it fun. I, I don't know that it was fun on its own. <laughs> and, and just to see what's 
I'm just showing you this. Take a look at this. This is when they finally have the discussion about how Barry didn't do anything to help, <laughs> to help him out. That'll be the next crossover next time. Yep. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm hoping I'm ho- I haven't read it yet, so I'm hoping that one's good. But Me yeah, too, what, I, what Dave is showing is after this one. I'm not really holding my hopes too high. <laughs> oh, I, I hope we're not done already. <laughs> no, no, no. But this, this is what we're doing right now is kind of the prelude to the actual JSA, right. JLA crossovers. This is, right. you know, this, this isn't the substantive stuff. This is the prelude. Well, this issue has been reprinted a good number of times. Uh, reprinted first in Flash number 178 in 1968. Um, it's also in the uh, trade that Dave talked about last time, The Crisis on Multiple Earths, The Team-Ups, Volume 1 from uh, 2006. Flash Archives, Volume 4. Showcase Presents The Flash, Volume 2. Flash of Two Worlds Hardcover. Flash Omnibus Volume 1, Flash the Silver Age Volume 2, and Flash of Two Worlds Deluxe Edition Hardcover. So lots of opportunities to read this uh, exciting story. So if if, uh, the cover dates are accurate, we are 14 months away from the JSA and the JLA actually getting together. We have one more Flash, you know, Flash on Flash story. Right. And then we go to the JLA JSA, which is cover dated August of '63. Yep. Yep. So we want to do grades on this one. Fs. <laughs> nah, I, I wouldn't go that far. I'll, I'll go F. first on this. I'll yeah, go, go first ahead. On this. I, I think the cover is a little messy, uh, and I don't like the background. And what the hell is the trickster actually running on? So I'm. I'm I, I'm just not crazy about the the cover at all. I, I I feel like this is this is the the more sloppy Infantino type artwork. Uh, I don't. I, and it's really the layout. It's not so much the individual images. The, I just don't like the layout. Uh, there's a lot of uh, empty space, and uh, it it just doesn't really do it for me. So it's not terrible, but I'm gonna say uh, a C plus. You know, the artwork is decent, but the layout doesn't do it for me. The interior art, uh, you know, I feel like giving it an A just for the picture of the key. Um, <laughs> but, but it, you know, I think it's a solid B on the interior art. It, it, it's all, you know, it's pretty well done. It's not as dynamic as the last one was. Uh, so I, I'm going to take a little away from it for that, but it's still clean and and the storytelling is is fairly decent and it's got that image of the case. So I'm going to say I'm going to say a B. Uh, and the story wise, this is just a huge letdown from the first one. There's just so many dopey conceits in it. Uh, that I'm, I'm going to say a C minus on the story. Uh, and overall, I'll give this book a B minus. Okay. Um... I like the cover. I'm not crazy about the cover. It is the same art team. It's uh, Infantino again, inked by uh, by uh, Murphy Anderson. So I, mean, I, I love these guys as artists. And I mean, I, like I said, I like it. It's just, yeah, it's it's you know, it doesn't hold a candle to 123, unfortunately. So you know, by comparison, it, it's it is a major step down. And uh, yeah, I don't understand the whole thing with the trickster. I'm you know, but. I'm not that big a fan of, uh, of, you know, Barry Allen flash and his adventures type of thing. So I don't know a lot about the character, but I think he had, 
I think it's his slippers that allow him to like walk on air or something, but how this whole thing really works, I, I don't know. But yeah, just for as busy as it is, there's also a lot of empty space. So it's weird. It's a strange dichotomy of being very busy and very empty at the same time. Um, I think it's also, you know, just the fact that the background is all one solid color with, you know, there's, there's no variation or shade. Like on 123, it almost gives the illusion of like, sunset or dusk or something because it's different shades in the background this this has none of that it's just one solid color um so yeah it's it's okay it's not great um i'm gonna say a i'll say a b on the cover um interior art i don't i i'm having a tough time putting my finger on exactly why i think it's a huge step down from the prior issue but it, it just is uh, i think a lot of it has to do with the coloring the coloring is really weird um i don't know who the colorist is on you know the two issues we've looked at so far i don't know if it's the same colorist or not but i I just don't care for the coloring on this particular um issue and it it does feel somehow it it feels more rushed um than 123 did I, i i don't quite know what the what the whole deal is but yeah the art's definitely a step down in this one um so i think i'm gonna also go a a b minus on the art as well And then the story is just, I mean, I know what they were going for, but it just doesn't work. There's, there's just so many silly moments. There's so many gaps in logic and just, just plain dumb in a lot of the story. So I'm sorry. I just, I didn't enjoy this one near as much as the other one. I wanted to, but, uh, I didn't even get the vibe from these guys that, they're even really friends just by the way they interact, especially from Barry. But I mean, Barry just seems like he can't be bothered with Jay for most of the story. So yeah, it was, it was a very odd read and a very odd dynamic with them. So story wise, uh, yeah, I, I think C minus is being, uh, I think it's being overly generous, but I'll, I'll go with a C minus, um, and overall grade for it. Uh, yeah, I think B B minus for an overall grade, and that's again probably being very generous as well. I just I, I didn't dig this one near as much as uh, as one twenty three, unfortunately. The cover, I really don't like the cover. I don't like the way Jay looks on the cover. There's no background whatsoever other than a very low budget skyline at the bottom. <laughs> Looking at the tricks that I wanted to comment. Uh, so if you spray oil into the air, will he slip? <laughs> <laughs> Just to play off something we covered in the last issue. Nice callback. But uh, no, I don't like the cover at all. I give. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a C minus. The interior art I like. I. I the coloring I like. The people look like what they're supposed to. There's backgrounds. The key is fantastic. I love the way the JSA looks. I wish they had had a bigger role in the story. I'm going to give the interior art a solid B+. The story, there's so many gaps. There's so many problems. But it does, the problems are problems, well, the bigger problem is how a planet's in jeopardy and nobody's helping these two out. Right. (laughs) 
But that you could write off because in a lot of comic books, it's the Flash's job to solve this problem. It's his book. If it's a Green Lantern book, it's his problem. That having been said, half the Flash in the story doesn't care (laughs) that a planet's going to die. So to me, that's going to hit the story down on the grade. I'm going to give the story a C. For overall, a C plus on the book. I did enjoy it because I had a lot of fun making fun of it. In good fun. <laughs> and I think folks should read it because it's entertaining. Right. Well, it's historic. Yes. You know, it's, all of these initial encounters have uh, some level of history to them, I think. And if you're a comics fan, or if you're a fan of comics history, I don't see why you wouldn't want to read it. It's not like like this story would take you more than 15 minutes to read anyway. Why don't you throw out, since I mentioned, you know, my first encounter with Jay Garrick was in that Justice League. Where did did you guys first discover Jay or the JSA? You know, what was your introduction to Earth 2? I remember seeing, I I vividly remember seeing the cover to JLA 21. Uh, but I don't remember when I first read the story. Uh, I, you know, I, I may have actually had like a cousin or somebody who had that book when I was a little kid and may have read it back then because I just like that cover is burned into my mind. The whole seance thing. Did you uh, have a copy of that? I do not. I wish. But I know somebody on this call who does now. I do, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I. It's one of these things where I feel like I've always known it, so I can't pinpoint the exact time when I first was uh, exposed to it. I, uh, I, I've wrestled with that, trying to remember, um, you know, when I when I first would have been exposed to Earth 2 and, and those characters and everything, and I, I really don't remember. I think it may have been one of the crossovers you know the the justice league justice society crossovers but i i don't remember exactly uh, you know the the one i can remember vividly is uh you know um the all-star comics revival what is that number 58 i think just because that cover struck me so much i'm like ooh, what is this you know and i had to get it so that one's always had a, a real special place in my heart and everything. But I, I, I think at least some of the characters or, or the concept of Earth, I think I was already familiar with it, but I, I can't remember how. So, I mean, it's just one of those things that, that goes back far enough, you know, in, in my life that, you know, I, I just don't remember anymore, you know, what, what my introductions would have been. But I, I know I was taken with the concept right out of the gate let's be fair i'm lucky i remember what i had for breakfast this morning yeah (laughs) you want me to remember when i first saw the jsa please what what books were we covering have we recorded yet today i don't remember anything (laughs) well unless anybody has anything else on this one i think that pretty much wraps us up 
Next time, we will be looking at Flash number 137. That will be the last of our uh, preludes, you know, our last uh, of, of the build-ups to the main event. And then the episode after that, we will look at uh, the very first proper team-up of the Justice League of America and the Justice Society of America in Justice League of America number 21 from 1963. So that's... Uh, Two more segments from now. And we Uh, should look to see, you know, what are the key crossover episodes or crossover issues, rather, that don't involve both full teams. I know this uh, a Green Lantern one that I think is considered to be key. Yes. Yeah, there's uh, uh, Green Lantern number. You might be thinking of Green Lantern number 40. Um, That is a key issue. It's, It's just... Hal Jordan and and uh, Alan Scott, but that is a very you know that one's right up there almost on a level with Flash 123 because it establishes a concept that would be mined for years you know going forward not not the least of which Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of spins out of a concept that comes out of that issue so yeah that one's that one's pretty key. That's 1965. So yeah, we will we will have the JLA JSA before we do that. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, I look forward to that whenever we get to it. You know, we're not we're not on a strict schedule with this. This is similar to our Thing Hulk anthology that we've been doing for oh, I don't know what have we been doing it about four years now, Scott. <laughs> it feels like it, yeah. <laughs> but it's still fun, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. As I asked before, I'll just uh, once again solicit the uh, the listeners for feedback on this. Uh, let us know what you think. How do you like the format? Uh, what can we, uh, you know, what are we doing right? What can we do better? That sort of thing. So yeah, chime in. Let us know. And and to let you let the, the listeners know, uh, we're kind of lax when it comes to our <laughs> email. We've become very very uh, just behind on that. So the best way to give us your feedback is to comment on the Facebook page, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, commenting in the chat on the individual episodes when they get posted or, or sending us a message that way or, you know, however you want to do it. But I think that's I think Facebook's probably a better avenue to get our attention. Yep. It's more immediate, uh, you know, for, for the listeners anyway, you know, to get our attention and get a response back much more quickly than, than emailing us where it might not get looked at for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in the meanwhile, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at two truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I think that was a good episode. What do you guys think?
I think you didn't say goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did good. <laughs>